Was building on the lecture versus coming daily under pressure. Working on the plot and the scheme, the true style trademark is at the edge of your dreams. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another Startup Fan podcast. As you know, I'm still in Dublin and Graham is still in London. How are you getting on there? I'm just here trying to figure out Boris Johnson's announcement, trying to figure out I what, heard. what it's all about. <laughs> no, I heard. I heard a bit crazy, all right. Well, I don't get it. It's a thing. And, and and it seemed, when I first listened to it, it was like, well, that seems super co- coherent and makes sense. And then when I got thinking about it, he was like, if you, ha- if you cannot work from home, go to work tomorrow morning, <laughs> right? And this is, this is 7 p.m. on a Sunday, right? Oh, and obviously people that have kids and people that are, you know, going, oh, my God, my boss is going to want me back to work now tomorrow morning. What, like, what, what's going on? And then it got me thinking quite selfishly about an old haircut, right? And I was like, oh, does yeah. bar- barbers can't really work from home. They have to go to the barber shop. So barbers are allowed work go to work. That's mental. But then this morning when I woke up, there was a big debate going on. And then the government had to come out on, I think it was on, on BBC. And they were like, no, no, barbers aren't allowed to go back to work. Well, then why was it was very clear if you can't work from home, go back to work. But yet, if you're a barber, don't. So, so is, is there any breakdown of, of what he actually meant by that? No, then? not yet. Not yet. Um, in fairness, by the time this podcast goes out, there probably will be. Um, I think there's, there's a 50-page document coming, um, which we're obviously going to share you know, to, to, to the startup and community and everything once we, once we break it down and figure it out. But yeah, that, that is coming, but it hasn't been, hasn't been released yet. Again, which is stupid, because big announcement at 7 p.m. on a Sunday, and it's, it's a bit vague. And then they go, oh, the 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 document's coming uh, later. I was like, we just have the document ready, <laughs> you know. It doesn't it doesn't make yeah. any it doesn't make any sense. But it's pretty annoying. So I'm sure people know this already. But it's kind of like um, I was expecting uh, you can add people to your social circle, right? So you can have five people or ten people that you that you don't live with, but you can socialize with. Uh, that hasn't been announced. So that's not allowed. Um, like it's it's funny because like they, they, he knew that he was making this announcement at seven o'clock on Sunday. So why didn't he have all of this kind of ready? Or or did he even? I, I know he knew he he was going to have the the announcement, but I don't. I still don't know why he didn't have anything prepared. Yeah, it's it's it is it's it's frustrating, right? And and I don't know. Do they did he do that announcement on Sunday evening at seven o'clock? And then wants to sense check it and see what the public's reaction is and maybe make amendments before the official document comes out. I'm not sure. That could be a clever thing to do. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I don't know. Um, well, I don't think so. Saying going back to work, if you can't work remotely, go back to work tomorrow. Yeah. Like, it's a bit of a, okay. It's crazy. Yeah. He literally said, as of from tomorrow. Um, and, and what else is there? So you can go to, you don't have to, because previously people were going for runs to the park and then sitting down, and um, you, which you weren't allowed to do, um, or play sports and things like that. But you know, you can go to a park, spend as much time there as you like, play sports. Um, and then from, from June... But obviously still obey the social distancing. Still obey social distancing, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then bars and all that sort of stuff is July at the earliest for bars and restaurants. And even uh, bars, restaurants, and cinemas and stuff like that. But he said certain, um, certain bars, restaurants, and cinemas. So, so ones that obviously are, are, I'm guessing, are large enough, or ones that have a big beer garden, or ones. I'm not to be fair. I don't know. It's all speculation. I don't. I don't really have a clue. Maybe they don't either. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a kind of. It's a little bit deflating, if I'm honest. It's a little bit like, 
we all kind of wanted to be able to see people um that we don't live with and and it's a little bit like oh god but maybe it's too simplistic but i was thinking how easy would it be and i'm sure there's a lot of people um in technology that are listening to this podcast if the government release an app i know it's right it's getting things through government's difficult but if the government release an app to everybody you downloaded it and you had to enter five people's names and their date of births and things like that and click save and you couldn't edit the you couldn't edit it and if the police stop you and you're with somebody you have to show id and if they're not on the app you get the hundred pound fine surely that's a a really simple solution to be able to have a small social circle. You should run for government. I know. I was thinking that. Graham, yeah. Graham for mayor. Yeah, um, I'd vote for you. At least you get one vote anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I'm just, it's going to be interesting to see what way everything pans out after all of this, because after the last, say, crash in 2007, 2008, uh, you, you could see the, the the hit that the bars and the pubs and all got where people would sit at home and, and, and drink more and, and maybe go to a nightclub later on that night, but they weren't going straight to the pubs and, and the whole lot. So I wonder, like, after this, like, cause it had already slowed down a little bit, and I wonder, like, now, what way is it really going to affect that, and especially if you have to obey by the social distancing, because as I, I told you in the last one, that a, a friend of mine owns one or, or, or two pubs, and he was saying that if, if, if they have to, if they're only allowed to have 50% capacity, you know, like they still need to bring in a hundred percent of of the the profit that they need to bring in. So, like, are they going to charge more for drinks? Um, is rent going to drop significantly? Um, which it it probably can't. You know, so what kind of, what kind of knock on effect is this all going to? But look, no one has a crystal ball, so we're 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 not going to know until we go through it. Yeah, it's hard to know, and obviously. From from a startup fan perspective, the podcasts are great, right? And and, and we'll probably continue doing them. Um, even after mm. this ends because people like them but we want to get back in the studio right we want to meet you know, entrepreneurs face to face we want to pump out the great video content we were doing when can we do that when when does it when is it when is it irresponsible to keep to keep doing it and when when will it be socially acceptable to go there's startup and they have a studio they're having guests in is that july is that august is it after august is it okay if it's a two meter distance but I'm not sure. I would look at it if I seen it, and I seen people because there's YouTubers that are that are that are kind of getting getting back to pumping videos and doing collaborations, and they're keeping two meters apart, but they're getting some negative comments. Um, yeah, and obviously we we don't really want uh, want people to think we're irresponsible by by getting back filming again. So I don't know when we'll be able to do it. Well, I can understand the anger where I drove by a house party there over the weekend oh, did you and yeah there was i, I drove by a, a house that had a front garden and there was 50 people at least 50 people at the party maybe they and, all lived together <laughs> uh, maybe so but like there, there, there definitely wasn't any social distancing being implemented there whatsoever because you could see them like there was one or two that obviously stood back a little bit mm. right but but there's still 50 people in a garden and you could see everyone driving by was just staring at them you know, and and two weeks before that, my, my dad was actually telling me about uh, one of the neighbors that he could see uh, was was having a, a barbecue. And there was a there was a, I, I think there was only something like four people there. And then he saw the police rock up. So the police actually rocked up and, and gave out to them. Oh, so, yeah. And that was only for four people. 
So you can imagine what, like, I'm sure someone called the police on on the 50 people. Like, I was, I was shocked by it. Like, literally shocked by it. And, like, it doesn't help with the good weather. Everyone's kind of, like, seeing the good weather and they're going, look, ah, oh, I'm going out in it. And then one thing leads to another and then someone invites around to a party. They've all, they all have good intentions of social distancing, but it never, ever happens. No. And the pub's opening up again if you have to keep social distancing in a pub so the rumors were in fairness the rumors were in the uk uh, that the pubs may be open from this week um mm. uh, there was supposed leaked documents to say that pubs will reopen but you're not allowed to stand in them right you have to use the seating available if there's no seating you can't be in there so it was obviously limiting it and then six people to a table uh, but you know seven or eight pints in and a couple of shots are people going to be social distancing i you know i can't see it either so how how will that yeah. work you know so and the to- going to the toilet's a problem. Yeah, going to the toilet, you, know, you can't social distance. Yeah. Then it's yeah, it's, it's very, it's strange, um, and it's going to be interesting when it's all over. Listen to these podcasts because it's going to be uh, it's going to be a bit surreal. Everything that we've gone through, I think. Yeah, well, look, we want to get back in the studio as soon as we can when the time is right. Get more guests in so we can meet them face to face. Get them on the couch. Create more video. Speaking of guests. Who is our next guest on today's podcast? We have an interesting character on today's podcast. It's Michael Tobin OBE, who's a technology entrepreneur. He started out really, really young. He received an OBE and he actually took a company through IPO, which actually had 90% of the UK's internet traffic go through it. So we've been really excited to have Michael on the show. So let's get into it. Well, well, basically, Mike, we, we wanted to chat a little bit about life b- before business, right? And and um and what and what that was like, and kind of what led what led you into it, I suppose, is, is is always an interesting one because because I think it's well documented, right? Um, what what you've what you've done in business, but so it's always interesting hearing how people got into it. I suppose is always a is always an interesting one. Yeah, I guess I guess um like a lot of things that probably people don't always admit a lot of luck or, or fortune was involved in, in, in everything. But, um, uh, I, I was born in the East end of London. Um, uh, my father was, uh, part of a large gang that used to be sort of the craze franchise for Southeast London. Wow. And, um, wow, yeah, was quite a violent chap. Um, and, uh, very violent to my mum, which was the, the sort of the worst of it. But uh, at, at, the, at the age of around seven, my, my, my mother decided to escape and um, uh, took me to Africa. And uh, we'd, what we didn't realize was and there was a subsidiary of the company she was working for there. So they gave her a job out, out, out in Africa and he, uh, he followed us out and tried to, uh, tried to get us back. But, but what we didn't Jesus. Was, yeah, he was quite a, quite a resourceful chap. But um, what he what 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 we didn't realize was we were going just at the point where they would um Rhodesia Zimbabwe um now but Rhodesia then was uh, declaring UDI against the UK so um there was uh, civil war and everything else going on and so we'd gone from the frying pan to the fire really um, yeah. and uh, so yeah we got petrol bombed four or five times one destroyed the house we got shot at uh, 13 times or so um and uh, so it was quite a Quite, quite a rough time. And eventually we managed to escape back out of there, back to the UK a few years later when I was about 12. 
Um, but uh, the, at, at the airport, um, they took everything from me. They they took they took all your clothes out, except the, the the base layer you were wearing. They took your your luggage, your your jewelry, your money, everything except your your passport and your and your boarding card. So, well, was this on the way back into the UK or? Yeah, yeah, that was leaving. That was leaving Rhodesia, um, and they and, and basically I landed in in London um, like a refugee back into the country. So. Uh, so I uh, lived in a squat in Stockwell for, for a few years um, and we used to make money by, um, by breaking into condemned houses that were waiting for demolition. And you'd, you'd often find um, upright pianos that people had left because they couldn't be bothered to, to move them. And Too I'd, heavy, yeah. And, yeah, and tune them up and roll them down the Old Kent Road and sell them in East Street Market for £20 a piece and survive for a couple of years like that. What, ye- what year was it that, um, that you left for, for Africa? Uh, gosh, well, I was about uh, seven, so that was um, uh, 71 and came back in 76. Like, like, obviously, doing something like that now, you know, if, if a mother was in a situation like that now and they had to they had to leave the UK, obviously no, now being a bit difficult, lockdown, etc. But in, in general, in modern times, that would be a, a, a big upheaval, wouldn't you know, that would be a, a, a huge thing to do. But but back then, it must have been a mammoth task. Um it was, and and you know, I mean, I was always angry with my both my my, my parents are dead now, but um, I was always angry with my mother for putting up with my father's um, behaviour for so long. Um, but I didn't quite realise she was gonna, <laughs> she was going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how much how much of it do you remember being so young? Oh, a lot, a lot, all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was you know, seven seven till twelve was quite an impressionable time. Um, but also, you know, I, I, I ended up playing for um, playing soccer for the uh, for the Zimbabwe or Rhodesian junior team at the time. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, you know, that that was a big thing in, in helping my. Um, I was a very shy child until then, and uh, that helped me to sort of get out of get out of that shyness. But um, when I got back, the first thing I wanted to do as soon as I finished school was was um, earn some money and get and, and did an apprenticeship at. Uh, a company called Rockwell Automation, which was industrial automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an apprenticeship in electrical electronic engineering. And and, um, and then uh, at, at the age of 20, once I'd finished the apprenticeship, I decided, I, you know, I was always going for jobs that I didn't think I, I, hadn't, I had any right to get. But there was a, um, a job in London as a technical director for a French computer company called Goupil. And um, I went for it, applied for it, and they gave me the job at 20, which was ridiculous. Um, and then I was bumming around one day because it didn't sell anything. It was just the a UK subsidiary for, for sort of, um, it was optics, really. There was no, there was no business going on in it. But um, I was flicking through the yellow pages one day and, and um, decided to phone a few people because I was doing nothing as, as technical director. I couldn't fix anything. We hadn't sold anything. Um, and... Uh, I phoned up this company in Wales, which was a distributor of computers, and they just finished the old um, Commodore uh, range, um, reselling the Commodores and, and the and the old BBC computers. And um, I phoned them up and said, "Yeah, we've got this whiz bang new computer." And they said, "Yeah, sure, come come and see me." And we ended up selling them a hundred in the first order, um, which was um, it caused great panic in in France because they'd never actually needed a qwerty keyboard before because no none of them <laughs> oh, of course <laughs> and um so so within a few weeks my name was up in lights in in the french um 
head office um, for for being the first person to sell these machines in London. Is, uh, is that where the love of business started for you? Well, I think doing deals. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know sort of the definition of business per se, but but just cutting, doing deals. You know, m- making making something happen. Um, and and sort of bringing need and supply sort of thing together um, was 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 good and um, and then and then the the CEO the managing director of the the, the, the UK subsidiary um, had a heart attack he survived um, fortunately but um, couldn't carry on working and rather than going through a long um, recruitment process they uh, they said well what about this guy because he seems to know know a bit about what he's doing and they they made me um, CEO at the tender age of twenty one. Wow, uh, and, uh, and so I, uh, I made lots of mistakes, and and um, was it was a disaster in terms of a, of, of leadership. But um, it was my first sort of tooth cutting, I guess. But then they said, "Well, look, you know, you are doing some good things, and and would you like to come over to France and set up other subsidiaries from Paris?" And so I went over to Paris, and and within couldn't speak a word of French, you know, didn't know anything about sort of getting an apartment or any, you know, the whole the whole thing was completely new. But managed to to muddle through, um, and uh, and then the company went um, went to the wall because um, the the head of the company and it was part funded by the French government. The head of the company was forging Bank de France um, uh, letters of credit. Um, oh wow! <laughs> got- <laughs> that's not that's not ideal. <laughs> And so uh, I, I had a decision to make, which was either go back to the UK or stay in France and decided to stay in France and make, you know, make a go of things. And um, there was an ad in the paper f- um, in English, and I still couldn't read French at the time, but there was, a, there was a, an English ad in, in the local paper which said, um, uh, personal, personal assistant wanted for a, a CEO of a new computer company. And, and I phoned up, I said, look, I don't want to be a PA, but, you know, I speak English and I know computers. Um, and they said, oh, great. Okay, well, you can be employee number two then. So I started with this company called International Computer Group, just set up by Computer Center um, in Paris to, to build a, a, an international sort of uh, distribution uh, organization. So started with that and then was with them for four or five years, ended up spending 11 years in France. Um, and how, how much French do you have now? Uh, fluent, fluent, yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, I also learned Danish when I lived in Denmark and German when I lived in Germany. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, all sorts of uh, bits and pieces picked up around the world now. It's it's an interesting one, right? Because we obviously speak to a lot of entrepreneurs. It's literally what we do for a living, right? And um, there tends to be a, a common theme that just having the courage to ask the questions and do things that people generally don't have the courage to do right? Because 99% of people would look at an ad for a PA for a new computer company and say, I'm running another business, I'm not going to be a PA, I'm not even going to call. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I think a lot of the time, it's, it, it's, it's little differences like that, that, that add up to, to getting big opportunities. Well, it is. And, and, and you know, I, I'm not very gifted when it comes to um, academic uh, skills, right? So I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't come out of, I didn't go to university at all, but didn't come out with any, any a levels even right so th- what i do have is is um the ability to get up um when i'm put down <laughs> and and yeah. that's inherent with everyone um and one of the guys that taught me selling actually when i was at that computer company in london it was brian adams's cousin believe it or not which is really <laughs> random 
<laughs> and but but he he, he gave me a, he, he said imagine you're a imagine you're a broom salesman and and you you know your your family business selling brooms has been there for a hundred years and you've got all the statistics of of, of selling brooms um, and the statistics say that you know for every hundred houses that you knock on the door of. Um, you know, nine, 98 of them will already have a broom. One of them won't have a broom but can't afford yours. And one of them will not have a broom and can afford yours and will buy it. So statistically, if you go to a, a row of houses and um, and you knock on the door, you, you're you're absolutely sure that you're, the likelihood of you getting that first house that's going to buy one or getting the house that's going to buy one first is is low. So yeah, you should you know the first door that opens says no, no thanks and slams the door on you. You should be happy about that because you're one step closer to your sale. Mm. And so get the nose out of the way. Yeah, and 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 it's this ability to sort of take um, perceived negativity as a positive um, is is a way of getting up when you're knocked down, right? And and it's and it's that I think that's the difference. It's you know what, what things always will go wrong in life. They always do, mm. you know. And it's like, it's the so what? It's the what happens then that makes the difference between success and failure. It's, you learn nothing from success, actually, because it could, it could have just been luck. But you learn a lot from failure because you know how not to do something. Yeah. Can you? Uh, you, you yeah, sorry, I was going to say, you're, you're known for, for a lot of the tactics you bring into the, into the workforce when it comes to training, say, managers and leaders and we all know about the story with the with the shark tank, and then the other story with the, with the bobsled, and and then the other one with the with the KGB agents, um, well the fake KGB agents as well, where you yeah. you you pull some of the staff in for questioning just to see yeah. how much they would talk or not. Yeah. Have you have you come up with anything new during lockdown? <laughs> well, I've been I've been um, sending around uh, whiskey tasting kits to my friends um, because that I, I find that people are. are the people that aren't used to technology and, and I, you know, this, this was a new one for me having to download Chrome for, for this recording, but um, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't, it, you know, we shouldn't be phased by, by new tech. Right. And, and um, people were just about getting used to things like zoom calls and all that sort of stuff, but um, weren't, weren't really a lot of my, my friends, the, the older ones in particular, weren't really sort of comfortable with using them. So I sent them all um, whiskey tasting kits and I know they all like whiskey, um, but I, I brought the, um, the, the sort of the connoisseur, the guy that was giving the, uh, the tasting uh, lecture. Um, he had to be on Zoom as well, right? So the only way that they could um, enjoy their whiskeys was that they, you know, they had to, they had to get used to Zoom and, and come on this, uh, this Zoom call with me. So, you know, there's little things you can do all the time to put people out of their comfort zones. Um, and the thing, and one of the things is that you don't realize what other people's comfort zones are relative to your own, right? So, you, you know, when, when you often think about what's easy for you, you, you assume it's easy for everyone else as well. And I think that's, that's sometimes where we underestimate people or, or, or overestimate people in, in, a, in a work environment as well. And we kind of, we take for granted that they are at the same capacity or the same level as ourselves when it comes to it, go, it goes back to you saying even about the doors getting closed in your face like mm. to most people or not to most people but to a lot of people that's that's comfort you know as you said get the nose out of the way so as i can get on to the next yes and for a lot of people the majority of people getting a door closed in a face is real kind of like i can't do this i don't want to do this this isn't me i'm gone yeah yeah well i think a lot of people take it personally um 
you know, and, and it's and it's not it's not the person saying no to you behind the door. It's not their fault that you knocked on their door, and it's not their fault that they already own a broom, right? So, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, okay, great, we understand it. We know that someone's gonna someone's gonna knock on the door sooner or later, and someone is gonna own a broom sooner or later. So either either end of that of that discussion, there's going to be people that 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 don't want to engage, and that's okay. Um, and you know, the 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 concept of 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 sort of not negative, but the concept of sort of no being part of a positive solution is 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 important in life. I think. What was the what was the IPO like with Tele City in two thousand seven? Was was that something that was obviously you hadn't done that before? Did that feel out of your comfort zone? Doing that IPO was obviously a huge deal, or was it you had enough people around you for support that it, it didn't really feel out of your comfort zone? Well, funny enough, I had this great guy um, who's actually working for me at the moment as as a, as a CEO of another business that I'm chairman of. But um, but back in the day, um, I uh, so we IPO'd in in October 2007. It was just at the beginning of the great sort of crisis that was about you know the the banking crisis and everything else that um, that that was just sort of started with Lehman's at the end of 2007 and, and protracted over a good few years. And we were the last company to IPO um, on on AIM for 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 several years actually um, because of that. So um, it was a torrid time. But but in in February of that year, February '07, um, I, I was looking for a head of um, uh, a head of media, my media business, um, selling into the media market. And I and I came across a couple. I was shortlisted a couple of candidates, and one of them was an ex BBC guy, which I ended up recruiting for the job. Um, and and the other one was a was a project manager from um, Cable and Wireless, and his name was Rob Coupland. Um, and I said to him, "Look, I, I don't. I'm not gonna. I don't want you for the job that you've applied for, but I'd really like you to come and join the company anyway." And uh, he said to me, he said to me, well, look, you know, what's in it for me? And, uh, you know, it's an extra hour each way to commute every day. You're not offering me any more money. So it doesn't feel like a, a big sort of career progression when I can't even define what I'm going to be doing. Um, I said, well, you know, I, I, I don't know what you'd be doing, but I do like you and, and we'll find something, you know. And, and so he said, no, nah, that's not for me. I said, well, could you please come down to um, we're having a Christmas. This was in, I think, November. Um yeah, so it was November, November, December that time. Yeah, and, and we were just about to have a Christmas dinner, um, and uh, I said, I said to him, "Come, come to our, our Christmas dinner at Asia to Cuba in London, for, where all the country managers were and everything else." And I said, "I'll introduce you as a friend and just talk to people." And he did, and he and he came came back to me the next day, and I didn't speak to him that night um, other than introducing him. Um, and he said, "Look, I'm in. I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm in." And um, I said, "Well, just kind of busy yourself doing some sort of." He, he was a he was a network um, uh, manager at, at Cable and Wireless, so I said, "Work at, work on the networks or something." You know? And yeah. um, anyway, but and then, and then literally in February, I said, "We're going to IPO the company," and um, I said, I, "I want you to run it." And he said, "Well, I've never run an IPO in my life. How, how on earth would you think that I could do this?" I said, "Well, you know, you're a project manager, um, so you're used to doing project managing. So project manage the the IPO." And he went, "Oh, okay." And so um, from, from doing network project management, he came over and project managed the, an IPO in the most difficult of times. And both um, Citibank and Deutsche Bank, who were the two bankers that we used at the time, said that it was the smoothest IPO we'd, we'd ever had. Really? 
Um, and so it was just basically taking somebody um, from their literal skill set uh, of project managing something, um, but taking them out of their comfort zone in terms of normally doing that for networking and putting them into a, an, an IPO background. So, you know, it was it, 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 the, the idea is, is everyone, ever, everyone can do pretty much anything, right? And, you know, unless you need to be a brain surgeon for, for, for that sort of thing. But generally, you know, most, most actions, most, most functions are quite simple. And we usually rely on a, a, a bunch of sort of background experience to get us through these things rather than academic knowledge. Um, I say there's a few jobs that do require academic knowledge, I'm sure. But, but generally, you know, in business, it's, it's all about kind of applying experience. And so have I, you, I was, sorry, I, was going to... I was relying on his, I was relying on his experiences to, to be applied to a new, a new task, if you like. Have you applied anything like that again since in, in any other companies that you've been working with? Um, well, I, I try, I try to, I try to sort of bring people in that are, that, that I, that I trust, um, to understand a vision, right? So first of all, I, I don't like, um, and I've written a book called forget strategy, get results. But the, the point is I don't like strategy per se, as in, I don't like having a prescriptive way of trying to run a business. Um, I'd rather have a vision of saying, what do we want to be famous for? And then employ people and get them to understand what we want to be famous for. And then for them to go away and, and try, try and construct whatever it means to them, a plan to, to get to that, to that goal of being famous for, 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 for X. Mm. And, so, and so, you know, you kind of employ people that, that don't have a plan that don't have a strategy, um, that, that come up with inspirational ways, if you like, of, of, of delivering. Because the rate of change today of businesses means that, you know, we, we've got Uber now as a, as a, as a business, but we, we also use Uber as a, as a verb, right? It's, uh, you know, that business was Ubered. In other words, it was, it was a great business and now it doesn't exist anymore. Um, because, because, you know, the business model just doesn't apply. And, you know, there's so many companies out there that, that were great for many, many years and now suddenly just don't exist because technology has come along and changed everything for them. Yeah. And, and I think that's important that we, we don't rely too much on, on long-term strategies and things like that. We, we, we have more of a kind of a, a vision and allow people to be incredibly flexible in how they think they can get to that vision. Do you think? Do you think modern day founders that are trying to build businesses end up spending so much time strategizing that they don't ever execute on the strategy? They build a strategy, they overanalyze the strategy, they redo the strategy, and it all all comes around the strategy that they never really execute on. Do you do you see that? Yeah, I do, and it's a shame because you know a lot of people have some really good ideas, right? And I think with Microsoft are quite interesting because, you know, years ago now, Microsoft decided that they weren't going to bring out a new version, a new product every couple of years or whatever they used to do. They were just going to continuously improve the product. So, you know, this, this kind of um, the way that we are used to having software now is that you get a, a revised update every, every week or every month and it fixes the bugs of the last one. And, and it's funny how we're completely comfortable now with having bugs, mm. right? We, we just know that the next release will have addressed them. So we'll buy a product knowing 
that it's got a history of, of announcing its own bugs every week. Yeah. I'm perfectly comfortable with it because it's a process of continuous improvement rather than trying to perfect a strategy on day one, which you, by, you, know, which you know that by the time you try to, to do anything in that strategy, it's going to be, be usurped. You know, it's going to be Ubered. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's better to get on the road doing things and work it out on the way than it is to try and find a perfect solution before you start on your journey. You, you've been on the board of a lot of companies and still are. And this probably goes back to what you were saying there. It's, it's a little like Mike Tyson, where everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And, you know, like everyone will have a strategy, as you said, and things are changing rapidly and all of the time that if you have a strategy, you know, a lot of the time it, it, it it's outdated quite fast. How do you advise any of the companies that you're, you're working on when they're so ingrained on, on strategy, but really need to open up to being able to go with the flow because everyone reads all these books and they might read books on maybe like say Steve Jobs for argument's sake, and they'll, they'll read what type of a leader he was. And now you see everyone trying to be that exact leader with the exact same style that he led with. Yeah. I mean, so, so it, perhaps it's semantics in a way, but you know, I, I like, I like the, the concept of having a vision rather than the strategy because your ultimate goal very often, if you make it very simple, your ultimate goal tends not to change that much. And, you know, I, if you said, I want to be famous for, in the, for having a car, right? Famous for building cars or something like that. Or, you know, it, it, it's, it's very difficult for that to change in the short period. But if you say, you know, I'm, I want to have the fastest car, somebody tomorrow could make the fastest car and then your, your, your strategy was, is, is lost, right? So your, or your vision is lost. So, you know, it's, it's, if you have, if you start with a kind of a, a much bigger picture, what do you want to be famous for? Um, you know, and, and, and come down from there, then you start to find a lot more flexibility in your approach to getting to that part, that, to that point. And, and I think when, when, when you are prescriptive with, with, the, the rate of change is changing, right? The, we, we, things are changing much faster than they ever did before. And that's only going to accelerate going forward with the, with the development of technology, with the development of computing, with, with the ability of con- communication to be much faster. And, and our access to data is going to be much more prolific. So it's only going to be more uh, likely that things don't last as long um, you know, you can't be number one for very long unless you innovate. All, all those things. So, so thinking about um, a vision, being, having a, a direction you're going in rather than a, uh, trying to have every day an end goal, is is a better way of looking at life, I think. And so, you know, fi- finding what direction is right for you first of all is 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 key, and not worrying about too much about how every step of how you're going in that direction. What's your opinion on on how the government ha- has handled um, the pandemic when it comes to business? Uh, well, I mean, you know, there's the, some things I think were, were brave and right in the very beginning. They were saying, look, we're going to support people. Don't lay them off. We're going to furlough them. And, and I think that was good because, you know, it, it's it's a very different ultimately, you know, the government is there to 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 manage the country in, in its in, in the best way it can, right? And and so having a lot of unemployed people that, that start again from scratch is 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 probably the worst scenario that any government could could predict. 
So arranging a situation of, of, of paying for people to be furloughed, I think, is a good thing. Um, and it allows uh, companies to uh, sort of almost go into, into a deep freeze while, while, this, while this is being dealt with, while the, while the pandemic is being dealt with. Um, but I do think that um, now that we've seen, after seven weeks of lockdown, now that we've seen that the NHS is, in a, is, is capable of coping with this, um, I do think that they should be relaxing the lockdown quicker. Mm. Because I think ultimately everybody is going to be exposed to this, right? And we're all going to have it like another, another disease, like another flu. Um, and there will be victims, and we've seen where the epicenter of this now is starting to look like it's the health, the the, um, the, 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 the the homes, the age, the old age homes, and, and care centres. Um, and and you know, if it wasn't this, it would have been another disease potentially in in, in another year that would that would um, sadly claim these victims because they're fragile in the first place. Mm. Um, and I think that they can still be protected and, and maybe more focused on. But I think the general public starts needing, needs to, needs to start building a, a, an immunity um, and, and for life to get back to normal again. Yeah. We, we talked about strategy there. And it's pretty obvious that anyone's strategy that they had for, for 2020 has gone out the window. Yeah. Um, before we wrap it up, what advice can you give to any of our, our listeners when it comes to to running a business? I know we're only seven weeks in of lockdown and there's so much uncertainty out there and no one no one knows what's going to happen. But is there anything you can think of that that founders or, or CEOs should be focusing on right now? Well, I, th- I think a lot of it does depend on the industry because, you know, I'm, I'm on probably a dozen different boards within um, data centers and hosting and a few others in, in podcasting and, and satellite broadband. And all of these are growing at the moment because yeah. all things that are, that transcend this particular issue. Right. But, but obviously, you know, if you've got a, a shop that, that is closed full stop, there's not a lot that, that can be done in this time. So, so I think, you know, a lot of this does depend on, on industry, but, but if you're in technology generally, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a place that, that can have um, divergent strands. You know, technology is something that can, that can be flexed very, very broadly. And I think is quite resilient to this type of, of phenomenon that we're seeing now with the lockdown. Um, I think, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a, pizza parlor on the high street and and you know you were a, a restaurant now you're doing takeaways you know that's some flexibility it's it's finding spin on 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 the normal work right it's the finding spin on the normal principle of the business we're seeing a lot of high street restaurants that are doing deliveries now and keeping their you know keeping the keeping their kitchens open and so whilst they could just go straight into lockdown and, and furlough all their staff the you know the furloughing of the staff in itself is 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 dangerous because those staff can when they when they eventually they do come back they might have changed their mind about being a chef or they may have gone somewhere else or you know but actually you know keeping the kitchens open and allowing them figuring out a way of of you know working safely in the kitchen so that as much as possible the uh, you know the, the the normal balance of of work doesn't change i think is 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 the way forward now not every company can do that but you know, they're, they're, 
many, many companies that, that do physical things can do things on the phone, can do things through, through, um, you know, voice, you know, the, I was talking to my friend at the whiskey exchange, um, the other day and, and he's doing online whiskey tastings. I mentioned it earlier on. Um, you know, there's, there's different ways that you can flex your business to take advantage of, um, you know, social media, um, not doing things in person. You know, the, the good news is in this that we have um, a fantastic delivery system. And, you know, Amazon's probably um, should be thanked going, going forward in, in 10 years when you look back at this. The fact that they've been um, almost single-handedly building a, a fantastic daily delivery system uh, has allowed us to, um, to survive during this lockdown and for a lot of companies to survive because they can still get their products delivered. It's a great service. It really is. And I ordered something at Amazon last week at 7 p.m. and 11 a.m. the next day it was there. Yeah. And, you know, we've applied that same technique. So, you know, we have our, our groceries delivered. You know, I remember the first time that Ocado was started, which was the first supermarket delivery company. And I thought, how can they make profit out of this? You know, and, and of course, now, you know, you can order you can order on Amazon Pantry and you can you can get it in three hours. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting even the pivot that most companies are taking now. Anyone that was B2B has completely changed and is now B2C, absolutely. you know, and, it, and I, I think as well when we come out of this that any company that was um, acting as a middleman or a middle person or whatever it was, you'll find that a lot of those will probably be gone because a lot of a lot of people will realize you don't need that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, we don't need shop fronts as much, you know, so online is becoming becoming even more important right and and you kind of think what's you know who are who are the big losers going forward i mean re- i mean restaurants will fundamentally my, my wife does a, a a food a food blog um on instagram and and been interviewing all the major chefs in the country and all of them are saying we are absolutely going to continue doing deliveries post post the lockdown so when the restaurant opens they're not going to stop this high-end delivery system they're going to continue with that because it's almost like, you know, one, it's, it's like toothpaste. Once you squeeze the tube, it's very hard to get it back in. Right. Yeah. Once you've given people this service of having, you know, luxury food, you know, fantastic, you know, Michelin star food at home, they're going to want it. Hmm. And you can't just stop doing it because other people will continue and you'll lose out. So, so everything is going to change post this. So you're, you're telling me we're all going to get fatter and lazier. Is that it? <laughs> well, you know, if gyms at home. Yeah, you know, we've got things like um, Peloton and all this. You know, get home gyms are, are absolutely important, right? And where we would we would always have an excuse to to not go to the gym because it's raining or because it's too far or because the buses are on strike. You know, people getting more and more gym work in in their own home, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a gym or a Peloton bike. It can just be watching online videos of you know fitness regimes or mr motivator on 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 bbc breakfast or whatever then then you know these are things that 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 will change even even you know the 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 profitability of a gym in the high street or you could be watching them while having your takeaway (laughs) you could be doing that (laughs) (laughs) at the same time yeah absolutely look i think i think we all agree we're 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 living in we're living in strange times and and those who those who adapt will win ultimately right um that's that's what darwin darwin didn't say that the strongest or the fattest or the biggest would survive he said the most the most adaptable will survive 
you know, amazing stuff. The ones that can can adapt in these times will be the kings. Well, that's probably the best place to end it, right? Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we hope to catch up in person soon when we're allowed to do so. Look forward to it, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Mike. Take care. And for everyone listening at home, thank you so much for tuning in to the Startup Fan Podcast. If you're listening to this on iTunes, please do leave a review because it helps us go up the rankings, which we want to do. And if you're listening on Spotify, uh, please do make sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you keep an eye out for the next episode. It's one on one shot.